You're listening to Season 2 of Conversations with Kathy, the podcast for women who are looking for a place filled with honest conversations, tangible takeaways, and new perspectives on life, love, and everything in between. And I'm your host, Kathy Ann Roach. Let's jump right in. Malisha has a smile that just lights up the room, and I'm proud to call her my pod sister. The co-host of the Jungle Rose podcast, we started our podcasting journey around the same time, and it was truly my pleasure to have her join me here. I talked to Molly about the challenges of growing up with a father who was incarcerated, and how she would have felt writing a letter to a parole board as part of securing his release. Molly is now a proud medical doctor, and her story shows that your past doesn't have to dictate your future. So if you find yourself in a difficult situation today, unsure of what's possible, this story is for you. Let's jump right into my conversation with Molly. Molly, I am usually always excited to talk to people, but I want to tell you that I was extra excited to talk to you. And part of it is that I think you just have so much to share. And okay. I will grill you very much, you know, about COVID because when I saw, <laughs> I was like, I need to talk to her about that. But <laughs> you can, you can yes. definitely. Yes. But one of the things that, that really intrigued me about your story was the fact that you shared on Instagram about your dad being incarcerated. And I yes. know the success that you've had being a doctor and the things that you've done, which I know may have been difficult with him not being around for whatever period of time he wasn't. And I really wanted you to tell me how that impacted you as a young woman growing up, maybe without your dad, the way that you needed him to be there. Correct. I posted that. I Actually, we had an episode where our dads came on and they shared how it was to see us grow up and things like that. Yeah. My co-host, who is my aunt, Jamie, she or Jay Simone, she uh, has always had her dad yeah. at the forefront of her life. For me, my dad has been there, but at a distance. Right. And that was due to him being incarcerated. So I think we had two very different perspectives. And the way I approached the post on Instagram was mm-hmm. uh, how many people have ever written a letter to a parole board? And that was one of the toughest things I had to do in my life so far, thus far, is yeah. to write that letter in support of my father. Yeah. And because the way they viewed my father at that time wasn't the same way I saw him. Yeah. So I had to convince these 12 people that my father was worthy and of being with his family. Right. So what actually happened with your dad? When did he become incarcerated? What happened? So uh, I was a child when my dad became incarcerated. It was back in 1996 Mm -hmm. when uh, he was taken from us. My dad, at the time, I did not know any of this about my dad, but my dad was uh, a businessman. He was what they would call a kingpin. So he was a drug dealer. He was a product of his environment Mm -hmm. as uh, most Black men or some Black men have to do to support their families. My dad was very smart, come from a family of uh, a mother, a stepfather. Mm -hmm. He had sisters and brothers, but he chose uh, to get into the street things. And um, in doing that, when I was 
when my mom got pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. he felt the need to provide for his family. So he went even harder and right. in, in his choices. And um, he got caught up with some big time drugs. And mm-hmm. I still, to this day, I've read articles, but I had no idea. Yes. I, I was so very protected by my family. You know, we always say it takes a village. Yeah. The village really surrounded us and nurtured us. So they kept a lot of things from my brother and I, which is good because when someone has something negative to say about my dad, I can't see him in that light. And I do think that my profession now, uh, God has placed me there to kind of redeem the things that my father has done in his past. And that's just the way I look at things. I'm back in the community where I grew up. I see a lot of people who struggle with uh, drug abuse, uh, substance addiction. So it's my job now to help these people get better. Right. So I do think uh, it's a cycle. Like, honestly, I can tell you the stories, but I don't know the all the details, which is still kind of weird because mm-hmm. I lived through it, but the fine tooth details. Yes. I don't know. Like I know I was able to have whatever I wanted out of the child. I was able to live and go on vacations lavishly, but he really kept those two worlds separate. Yeah. So when he was arrested, things would have mm-hmm. changed because suddenly the family didn't have access to the money that they had before. So, so what did you think was happening? Did you realize that something So that is um, a great question. And actually, we didn't notice a big change because even though my dad had his lifestyle, my mom wasn't the, she was his girlfriend at the time, but wasn't the girlfriend to not work. Uh, And what you see in most cases, my mom had her own job, her Mm -hmm. own money. My grandmother had her own things. My aunts and uncles had their own Mm -hmm. things. So It was a little different, Mm -hmm. but we didn't see the major changes because there were other things set in place. And when that happened, I could remember clearly when they came to take my father, when our houses were raided, everyone's homes were raided at the same time. Right. Um, My grandmother's, our home, and we were living down in North Carolina at this time. So we had left the setting that everything was taking place. Mm -hmm. And I can remember like, Bam, bam, bang, bang, bang on the door. And that had never happened before. I woke up in a panic. My mom woke up mm-hmm. and my mom just jumped into motherly mode. Like she got me and my brother. She was like, stay here. Mm-hmm. You know, from what I remember, the officers allowed my mom to take us to school. And my mom was, you know, she tried to shield us. So she said there was a mistake. Yeah. You know, she she's lying to us, but not wanting to fright us. And she goes, they were looking for someone else. And yes. so as a child, you believe what your yeah, mom is saying, yes, yes. <laughs> you know? So um, we went to school that day and we still did not know that they were looking for my dad at that point. Is it that he didn't live with you guys? He didn't? So uh, right before he um, was incarcerated, him and my mom separated and she okay. left. She okay. left him um, because she wanted him. My mom had gotten into the church and she wanted him to change his lifestyle. And she still says to this day, uh, God gives you a choice. Yeah. And if you don't make it, one will be made for you. Yes. And that was the choice that was made for him. He had the opportunity to leave the life and he did it. 
Yeah. So she had to make a choice for herself. And so we did move to North Carolina for a short period of time. And that's where her family, like her dad was living at the time. So we went and moved down there. Where did you think he went? Because I'm assuming he would have visited. Yeah. So where did you think he went? So that wasn't the first time my dad had been in jail. So in the past, they had always said like, oh, he went to school. Yeah. School? No way is that school. <laughs> or, you know, he went away. But um, this time, after he got sentenced, they sat us down. My grandmother, my mom sat us down and told us that he was going away to jail, federal prison. There is a difference. I call everything jail, but there is a difference. This was federal time. This was big time. And so he would be gone for a long time. And as he was, so they explained it to us in that way. Once that happened and he did get the sentence in, uh, my family did sit us down and explain it to us in a way that a child could receive. Right. So how old were you at that point in time? Uh, I would say about 10 or 11. And my brother was about nine. And he was sentenced for how long? How many years? He was given life. Ooh. 20 to life. 20 to life. So that would have felt as though you would never, ever see your dad again. It did. It did. It really did. And even I, he ended up going in in 96. He came out in 2007. So even that amount of time felt like a long time. Yeah. But one of the things that my parents did for us was my mom made sure that wherever he was, we went to visit. They had him all over the place. And this is one of the things that I think children of incarcerated parents suffer with. And uh, the system doesn't consider like he was placed in Valhalla, New York, Talladega, Alabama at one point. Pollock, Louisiana. Mm. And these places were so very far from us. So very far from us. It would take eight hours to drive there. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was committed to us seeing our dad, being a part of it, making his time a little more enjoyable too. Because yes, you can have phone calls. You can uh, write letters. These people who do things... They're, they're still people. And, you know, sometimes I think the system or the government separates them without ever thinking about the people that they've left behind. Mm-hmm. Growing up, did you ever feel frustrated or any anger towards your dad for not being around? I never felt anger because I think I was a very smart child. I kind of felt like he did what he had to do to support me okay. and, my, and my family. I did feel anger that I had to go visit him often. Like I sometimes I would be like so exhausted. I would be like, I don't want to go. But once we got there, you know, my mom always made it fun. Uh, The trips would be more like vacations. We would stay in hotels and that had swimming pools and things. So trying to make it more lively for us. But it became taxing. It really did on us. Uh, We would be sleeping and my mom would be driving to these places on her own. Yeah. Like, so God was really, really covering us at those times, all times of night, just unsafe situations. And these jails or prisons are not located in places that are safe for Black people. Let me just yeah. say that. Right. They are located in country white places. Hmm. And and that's by, well, the ones that I've visited. Yeah. And even 
my experience with checking in when it was time to go into the prisons, they weren't always the friendliest. These correctional officers were not always the nicest. Yeah. And so it was kind of like an extension. They saw your family member as this person that they see them as. And so they were hostile towards you or when you had not much to do with it. You're just there visiting. So those were the times where I felt most exhausted or most angry. And that was because of the situations that I've experienced with or the interactions that I had experienced while going to visit him. Yeah. Have you ever spoken to your mom as to why she did this? And the reason I'm asking is, you know, some women can become bitter, can say, okay, well, I spoke to you. You did what you wanted to do. You've made your choice. I'm not about taking these children up and down the state (laughs) to keep in touch with you. Do you know why she was so committed to making sure this relationship stayed? I think she understood the importance of having a father in your child's life, even if it's at a distance. Like I said, my parents were separated at the time that my dad went in. Yeah. Over the course of time, they rekindled their relationship. And the relationship had nothing to do with, uh, I'm bringing my kids to see you. Let's do this. Like It was just a friendship that grew. Mm -hmm. And now today, after all that time, they're divorced. So, you know, but that had to do with people change over time Mm -hmm. and time had passed. And even my dad becoming acclimated to being in the real world once he was released, it was a little difficult too. So we can get into that as well. But Mm -hmm. I think that, and my mom, she knew my dad on a more personal level. She knew him since the beginning. They were friends. So she, she knows his heart. She knew his heart and the type of person that he was, and she would want his kids to be in his life. And I'm grateful that she did not have that bitter mentality Mm -hmm. because I don't know if I would be the same person that I am today if she did not make it her purpose to maintain relationships with my dad's side of the family, with my dad. And we're all so very close. Yeah, I think from what I'm hearing is that she made something that is not normal seem very normal so that you could continue to have a normal life, even though you had this thing happen to you. Yes. And I, I would say that both parents of mine wanted the best for their children. So whatever the best looked like for us at that time, they were going to make sure we had that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very important. So here you are at the point where it looks as though your father is going to get released, but there are these conditionalities, I guess, that have to be met. Yes. And you are asked to write this letter or do you think it's something that you wanted to do? How did that happen? I think at this time, my dad had served a little over... 10 years of his time while he was there, he was doing what he could, got some education and like extermination, working jobs, uh, trying to keep a straight and narrow while he was in there. Of course, it's very difficult because you have to protect yourself. And even hearing my dad talk about the way he had to protect himself in the space that he occupied while he was in there is very scary. Like this is not, no, I go to sleep, rest my head at night and I'm okay. Like, There were battles that he had to face while in there, but he came up on the time where he was eligible for parole. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I was a second year in college. 
my dad had always still maintained leadership in our house, uh, Mm -hmm. discipline. Like I still had (laughs) fear, (laughs) Um, not fear, but you know, disciplinary action. Like you do something bad, I'm going to tell your dad. And I was still scared and he wasn't even present physically. But, you know, we have this sense of, I want to please my parents. Like I wanted to do the right thing and I want to change the course of our story. So there was still boundaries in place. So when it came up for him to be eligible for parole, I knew that I had to do this. I knew that I was successful in my own sense. And I knew what the literature said about children who were raised by single parents or child of incarcerated parents. And I knew I had proven that wrong. And that was my goal. Always. I I saw what they said about children who had incarcerated parents, that we would go to jail ourselves, we wouldn't get a higher education, we were more likely to do or follow in the steps of our parents. And I had broken those molds. So I was like, I need to show this board that despite what the literature says, despite what other families go through, like there are still strong families that are able to surpass what those stats are saying. And that's what we want for these kids. We do not want children of incarcerated parents to fail. They need to be more successful Mm -hmm. than their parents. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was my right to write this letter. It was very emotional, Mm -hmm. very straight to the point. I didn't include any fluff because I needed them to know that this is how I felt. This is what I've seen my dad do over the course of the years while he was in prison. This is what we went through because I let them know that I had to travel eight hours to see my dad for the last 10 years. And I think we put in our time. I think time was served. And so I wrote it very matter of fact. But it's still respectful because I knew that this could persuade them either way. And I still wanted to pull on heartstrings because his life was in somebody else's hands at that point. So I wrote it in the sense that was uh, still emotional, but very firm in what I believed and what I believe should happen at that time. Yeah. And the good news is that he was released. And yes, he was home. How was it for him? Because, you know, we think I remember looking, I remember an old Oprah episode of this woman going to prison. And when she came out, there were lights at the back of her car when you mash the brakes. So when she Uh went into into prison, that didn't exist. And I know because of changes in technology, your dad would have come out and here was the internet. So here was all of these things. How did he deal or feel about the changes that he was witnessing? I think it was tough. And I I still believe like when we talk today that it was tough. And I do think that it played a part of his and my mom's divorce too, because what I noticed was that my dad had become recluse. He liked to be home. And whereas we've had ways to navigate the world, we love to travel, but because he had been so confined to a space, I think it was hard for him to enjoy now. Like, He's starting to, but he still likes to be home. Like you said, there was cell phones looked a little different. Um, 
internet was around. It was difficult for him to get a job initially, but he did get a job and he maintained a job, never turning to look back at the streets where it could have become so difficult, so difficult. And I think the role change was very difficult for him too, because he was used to being the, the provider. And now my mom, even though she had her job when he went in, she was the sole provider for a long time. So mm-hmm. her independent, him integrating himself in there, us, my brother and I being 18, 19 years old, my brother being 17, about to graduate or 16, graduating from high school, he did get to be at my brother's graduation. So mm-hmm. that was good. But even that sense, like, I would notice that I wasn't, I would call my mom for everything because I was used to not being able to pick up the phone and call my dad. So even while I was in college, when I would go away on vacation, while I was at school, I would let my mom know. And then she would say, well, did you call and let your dad know? And I was like, oh, you know, let me call him. Like, Mm -hmm. even though we were close, I would still forget that I had the ability to call him and reach him on the phone. So those little things played a part too. And I think that was a part of the transition that we all had to get used to. Did you feel as though your relationship with him changed in any way once he was out versus when he was in? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I think my dad for a long time still felt as if I was that little girl. Yeah. That was there when he went in. So I even mentioned this on my podcast. Like I would see him and he would just want to hug and kiss me and say, mm-hmm. my baby, my baby. And then like, as I started to talk to him about certain things, like the conversation shift was like, wow. Like, I think it was like a reality check multiple times, all the time to see like yes. when I went in, she was a small girl, but now she's like moving into adulthood. She's 19, 20. She's halfway through college. She's living on her own. But he would always come down to my dorm. Him and my mom would come down to the dorm on Sundays, making sure I had food and things like that, calling and checking on me. The relationship got stronger because I wanted to do a lot of things with him. So I would make sure that if it was a restaurant I wanted to go to that I had been thinking about, I would take him to the restaurants. But I had to show my dad how to, I remember it was like Valentine's Day. I was like, you need to call and you need to make reservations. And this is how you do it. Skills that we had from being out in the real world, he had to learn how to do it. It was small things, but when you didn't have access to that or you weren't able to do it, you just don't do it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's really, really, really interesting. I know Mm -hmm. you said you wrote the parole board and you told them about what you had accomplished and just to Mm -hmm. show them that you were not going to be one of the stereotypes, one of the, you know, mm-hmm. one of the numbers. What did yes. you tell them? Just for just for my girls and boys listening. Yes. <laughs> yes. To all the boys and girls listening. Yes. Um, what I wrote in my letter to the parole board was that I was at that time a second year college student who was at the time I was pre-med major. I was at Georgia State University on a scholarship been traveling. I had been to Spain. I had Mm. traveled to a couple of different countries by then. So I had told them where I had traveled to, what community service I had been a part of, because that was my thing. I love community service. I love Mm. giving back. I let them know that I had graduated with 3.8 
from high school and just letting them see that without my dad's presence, although it was tough, I was able to do these things. And I think it was important for them to see a young Black girl who came from a hard, rough environment where her dad had to sell drugs to take care of her, see where I am now and see that I was thriving and living a life that my dad ultimately wanted me to live. It is so encouraging for those who are listening because a lot of times, sometimes you think your past is your future, but it doesn't have to be. And you are like living testimony of that, especially when the people around you hold strong keep their own morals, their values, and they continue to instill this in you no matter what. And I think, you know, kudos to your mom mm -hmm. for that and kudos to your extended family for that. And I do want to clarify, for a long time, I was uh, embarrassed to say where my dad was. Uh, I I wouldn't share that with my friends. I wouldn't share it with people around me, you know, I, I, I would make up stories about where my dad was because there was such a negative connotation with that. But Mm. it wasn't until I became older and I understood the value of sharing things and personal things, whatever it may be that it could help someone. But growing up, I, I kept that to myself. You know, I had friends that had mom and dads in the home. And I would just say, you know, it's just me, my mom and my brother, but I wouldn't make mention to my dad. Not that I was ashamed of him. I was ashamed to say where he was because I didn't know how people would react. And at that time, my mom had moved us into majority white spaces. So, of course, I'm already a black girl in white space. And then to say that my dad was in prison, I just thought that there would be some negative connotation. So... I didn't share that. But now I have owned my story and my life. And I'm proud to say I am so proud of what my dad has accomplished, because not everybody is able to survive the drug life. He could have gotten killed doing that. Uh, He could have gotten killed in prison. Yeah, he could have come out from prison and said, you know what? I have not done any wrong. I served my time and I still can't find a job. This is where I want to go back to. Mm -hmm. I know I can make millions doing this, Mm -hmm. but he didn't. His family was more important to him and he learned the lesson. And I'm not going to get into prison reform because I do feel like it could be better. But I do think that my dad was able to learn his lesson and move forward and be with his family. And to this day, his mom is 81. She got to see him go through all of that. And she's able to have her son with her. Yeah. It's a wonderful story. It's a, it's a story of hope. You know, that's how I see it. It's that it's saying that things, they don't always have to be the way that you perceive them to be you know the ending doesn't always have to be well you do this 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 and that's it we write you off you know that is always room for giving a person a second chance and you know i i love those types of stories and that you've persevered through it and that the family has also persevered in closing i want to take you right back up at the start if there is a young person listening who may not have their parent for whatever reason it may not be incarceration Mm -hmm. but if even if it's similar, what would be your advice to them to stay on track to to not become a statistic? 
Yes. I just want them to know that they can do anything they put their minds to, but they have to set a goal for themselves. They have to write it down. They have to make it clear because when you do that, you can see yourself moving forward. And that gives you hope. When you look back and see all of the things that you were able to do, it'll propel you forward or push you forward to continue to move. So no matter your circumstances, if you are in a poor neighborhood If you don't have access to all the resources that you need, which many of us don't, as I mentioned before, which was one of the reasons why my dad got into what he got into. But if you know that there's something that you want, despite not having all the resources, you do the best that you can with what you have. Mm -hmm. If you don't have internet, read a book. If you don't have a book, but you have a newspaper, read the newspaper educate yourself as much as possible. And life experience is experience as well. And it will take you very far. And I just wanted to tell everybody, you can listen to Jungle Rose podcast too. If you want to hear more about how I overcame some of my fears growing up and as an adult. Thank you so much, Molly. I really appreciate you spending time with me. (laughs) I love spending time with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Kathy. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. It helps others just like you to find the show. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Kathy Ann Roach or in my Facebook group, Conversations with Kathy, where we connect live, discuss the episodes, and share tips for improving our lives. So until next time.